Hey. It's only taken like two years to do this. <laughs> I know. How you doing, man? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to see you and thank you for being willing to do this. I'm excited. I'm so excited to do this. As usual, the studio cat is here, so I'm sure she'll make her appearance. You got your pup? I'm sure he'll talk at some point. Good. Looking forward to it. They need to give their two cents. Welcome back to another episode of Tuesday Tea. You guys, I'm so excited. It's been two years. I've been waiting to do this interview. Steven Edelman is here with me. What's up, Steven? Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm so, so excited to chit chat. For those of you who might recognize this voice. Steven was also on the Big Picture Business podcast where I co-host with Roy Carruthers. And that episode exploded. And we talked about digital marketing trends. I think that's when we were going into 2021. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's been two years and obviously some things have changed. And Steven is my go-to guy for all things digital marketing predictions, the trends, what I can expect. It's amazing to me that Steven and I have had this opportunity to connect via Instagram. And it's like, this is going to sound really cheesy, but every time I reach out to you, Steven, you're like on it within an hour. Like, yeah, I got you. Like, let's talk about all these different things. And it's so cool. So Without further ado, let me give a little bit more of a proper intro to Steven here. Steven not only is my go-to guy for digital marketing trends, but he is the marketing director for the Biker Lawyers, and they are a personal injury law firm in Iowa and Minnesota that is owned and operated by bikers who happen to be lawyers. And then, of course, you know, Steven has his own podcast, which I love, called The Deep Gripping Reality, which is his place to geek out, which is what we're going to get into as well. But Tell me more about the biker lawyers specifically. I'm very curious. Yeah. So that when I first saw that that name, the biker lawyers, I was like, you know what they do. Like that is brilliant branding. And a website, thebikerlawyers.com, like it's it's brilliant because I don't have to tell you exactly what they do. You already know exactly what they do. And so for that was a big draw for me when they when they approached me and said, Hey, we want to hire you. I was like, okay, cool. Let's see what we can do. And so essentially what differentiates these guys from anybody else I've ever seen, and I've worked with a lot of law firms in the past. And the cool thing about it is every attorney for the firm rides motorcycles, not just like passively or on the weekends or whatever, they go to rallies and they go to big events and, you know, they've made trips down to Sturgis and and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So they're, they're a member of the community to be a member of the community, not just because it's a niche that they can fill. Um, and what it comes down to is that the founder, a guy named Pete Leahy, uh, who's been doing this for like 37 years or something, he's been an attorney for that long. He realized very early on that insurance companies tend to screw people over there. They are for profit and people seem to think that, oh, you know, these are just, these are my friends. Well, no, they're there to make money and they're going to pay you out as little as humanly possible. And you're going to think they're your friends, so you're going to settle for it and you don't have to. And so he figured the best way to represent the motorcycle community was to have somebody that's in that community in the courtroom fighting beside them. And so instead of just being a stuffed shirt guy who loves to settle, he has no problem taking it to, to the big insurance companies or whatever needs to be done. And it's it's been really cool because the overarching, if I had to, to, to sum up exactly what this firm is compared to anything I've worked with before is that these guys are authentic. They're very real. They're, the, the trust is there. The community knows that when they see them out and about that they've got their backs. And we've, I've actually, I went to lunch with uh, 
a guy I work with named Ginger. His real name is John, but he's like a seven foot tall redhead. So it fits. There you and go. <laughs> somebody came up to him and had said, you know, I just want to say thanks for everything you guys are doing online. Mm-hmm. And that's, I was like, okay, that's cool. Right. So that's yeah. In the cap. So, yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Appreciate that, Ginger. Nice job, buddy. No, but it's, it's cool because the people in the community feel like there's, there's good guys fighting for them that don't just want to settle and get money. That's been cool for me. And the other side is I don't have to be super corporate. So as the director of marketing, what that means is that if I want to bring people on as temps to help me with copywriting, or if I want somebody to help me with editing, I can bring them on and I have certain budgets I can work with with that, but then I get to experiment. So the, my biggest thing is I see all these trends and, and over the last probably four years, I've gotten a Nostradamus-like ability to see what's coming and then act on them ahead of time. And with these guys, I don't have to ask a thousand questions. All I have to do is say, hey, check the wording on this to make sure I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) So obviously I can't offer legal (laughs) advice, but I can say, you know, what, what can we say? How do we need to word this? And these guys actually very recently finished putting together they invested uh, quite a bit of money into building a studio uh, out of one of their offices that is uh, essentially a podcast studio. So it's got some great top of the line equipment and we're using it every week we meet up and we go through all the Q&A and Quora and all of the things that people have been asking us and we put it into video segments and then I just edit that down and, and use it on whatever I need. So it's great for SEO because I can embed it in blogs. It's just, it's been fantastic. It's so fun to be given the freedom to experiment without having to worry about meeting very specific deadlines for things that are arbitrary, you know? Yeah. Those make the best clients that they just say, Hey, you're the expert here. What should we do? And they give you the runway, right? The runway to say, okay, well, this might be an experiment over here, but here's what's working. Here's what we're going to change. How nice. I'm so glad that you found a company that just really values you, right? You're home. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. That's awesome. Very good. Well, congratulations on that gig. Very Thank cool. You. Thank you. Can we get into some digital marketing trends? Can we? Let's. Can we? Can we geek I'm out? literally doing the same thing off camera. I'm like, <laughs> do it. Ugh. Let's do it. Yeah. So this is what I'm excited to talk to you about. Tell me. Uh, short form video content. Mm. Let's get into it. First and foremost, you were the one that told Rory and I on Big Picture, the magic is going to be on YouTube Shorts, and I hadn't even heard about YouTube Shorts. In fact, I'm pretty sure at the time they were just getting ready to roll it out. And you sent me an article and you were like, look at this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's just one more thing. And nope, you were 100% right. <laughs> so let it be known. Stephen Edelman was correct. <laughs> I'm telling you that deal that I made with the demons below. No, I'm kidding. It paid <laughs> off. No. So it's it's funny. I think if I'm not mistaken, I think that at the time they were testing reels in India and they were talking about rolling it out in the US and Instagram had just started doing reels. And I yeah. said, the exposure on reels is going to be insane. And obviously it has blown up. And so, you know, it's amazing to see, it's very gratifying for me personally to look back at, you know, episode 49 of big picture business and go, Hey, I was onto some stuff there. And, you know, you don't hit all of them, but if you, if you make educated and you're watching the right things, you can really make some serious moves. So Here's the state of the union for short form video content and whether or not people should abandon long form video content. So my hot take is this, and it's changed literally this morning because I have some very fresh, like hot off the presses an hour ago news for you. Exciting. Let's do it. This is really new. Okay. (laughs) 
I'm, I'm literally pulling up my screenshot here because I was so frustrated when I saw this. I can't even believe how insanely frustrated. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, my God. So no. um, as of about, I think it was in, in the week of the, the 20th of December, um, I don't know if you heard about this, but there were some pretty serious legal woes going on with TikTok. Yes. Um, yeah. So to bring people up to speed who may not be, there were four employees of ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok, and they were doing an, an internal audit, and it, it's an international internal audit of their team, and they looked into the ByteDance team sharing information with journalists. And what they found was that they were sharing information about IP addresses and location tracking to see how close they were to ByteDance and to things that may be of interest to ByteDance physically speaking. So Super they were using shady. motion tracking. Yeah, shady. Seems like a little bit of a violation of privacy. but Just a smidge. <laughs> I'm sure you could use that for content creation because that's what they use the data for, right? But the journalists were from BuzzFeed and the Financial Times. Um, and essentially what it comes down to is that before this point, ByteDance said, okay, we've got Douyin, which is the Chinese equivalent of TikTok. And then we've got TikTok America. They're two separate things. We're working with Oracle to make sure that the American data stays private and that the, chi- the CCP, the, you know, the, the Chinese government has nothing to do with this data, right? Well, because in fact, they said Chinese TikTok employees can't even access it. And it turns out this little breach that I just talked about basically says that they were lying, <laughs> that they were, that that's not accurate at all. Right. So what it comes down to now and, and the U.S. government has been investigating TikTok for a while for privacy concerns. And so what it comes down to now is that there are two options. TikTok has to either be the American version, either has to be purchased by a U.S. company that can guarantee that the data won't be shared with, with anybody it shouldn't, especially the, the Chinese government. Um, most likely that will be Oracle because there's already deals working with Oracle and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think that if it was any company other than Oracle, then we'd have monopoly concerns. So uh, as much as I think Twitter and uh, Facebook and even Microsoft would absolutely love to get their hands on it, I don't think it would be allowed to happen. So it's going to have to be Oracle. Now, or I mean, I, honestly, I could see Amazon buying it because they have, they have AWS. That was going to be my next question for you. Like, what would that look like if Amazon stepped in because of that, of the hosting aspect of things? So AWS is, is the world's best hosting, and they've proven that they're very good at keeping data separate. So for example, um, and this might be outdated information, I don't think it is, but Amazon hosts uh, Netflix, they host uh, um, Disney+, Plus, they host uh, Hulu. Almost every streaming platform is hosted on Amazon Web Services, and of course, they host Amazon Prime. So the big concern was, you know, Amazon Prime is a direct competitor to the rest. And if you can access all of that data, then obviously you can give yourself a competitive advantage and (laughs) haven't done that. So that there's nothing like establishing trust by saying, look, we have all the sensitive data. They've also proven that they can move very sensitive military and government data physically from one location to another. Um, They have technology that can extend electro uh, uh, withstand electromagnetic pulses. It, it, without frying these their, their, these servers and how they do it. I saw it. Wow. It's a nice thing about working um, on my MBA is that I, I get to see all these weird case studies and stuff. And that that was one of them. Cool. So uh, AWS, I think, would be the most trusted. And I, I think it would also, the general public, I don't think, I mean, Amazon's not really into any social media stuff. Yet. Yeah, yet. So... <laughs> 
you know, I don't think that there's really an issue there as far as that goes. But the other option is that they just straight up flat out ban TikTok. And until they can find an American buyer, I think that's probably what's going to happen. I think so too. So I think we're maybe a a year, two years, maybe now. Yeah. I mean, if, if that, so right now in the time of this recording, we're recording this on January 3rd, 2023. Okay. I'm predicting that TikTok will be gone by 2025. Yeah. I think that's safe. I would have said 2026 before what just happened. I would have said, oh, they've got maybe three years, but no, I think they're down to, if, if they're lucky, they've got another two years. So if that were to happen, then what do you think we can expect to see from the content creators? Because I know people who have, I mean, they have millions of followers. They make quite a bit of, I mean, that's their livelihood is TikTok. Mm -hmm. They are content creators, influencers, the lawsuits, where are they sending them? I mean, not to China, you know? Yeah, that's true. I I don't know that it'll be a lawsuit thing so much as a a migration thing. So the first ever short form, I can't say it's the first ever, but the first major short form was Vine. And Vine was huge. And I know you're like, oh my gosh, oh my nostalgic, gosh. right? Blast um, from the past. <laughs> one of the biggest Viners was a guy named Thomas Sanders. Hilarious dude. And within three seconds, he could have you laughing so hard. Now he's moved over and he's huge on, t- on uh, uh, not even TikTok, but on uh, YouTube, YouTube shorts mm-hmm. and YouTube longer form. So um, I think the interesting thing about social media is that if they like you on one platform, they'll find you on the others just to see if you're posting different stuff. And mm-hmm. so they don't miss out. Mm-hmm. And I think that if TikTok gets shut down, it's going to leave a huge void in the creator sphere and people won't know where to go. And so the biggest benefit that TikTok has over anybody else, I think this will blow your mind what my prediction is on this, is that they have really easy in-app editing and really easy uh, fil- AR filters and stickers and things like that, right? And so that's what makes it appealing. And even though Reels has some of that, uh, YouTube Shorts, which is where I'm putting all of my eggs, I think that's going to be the big dog in the end. They don't have half of the tools that anything else does, even though they easily could. The one that does have a lot of similar tools, but doesn't really have the platform footing yet, is Snapchat. Hmm. So, Snapchat was one of the first with stories. They were the, where they were the first with stories. They were one of the first with AR filters before TikTok hit the scene. And they still have really good ones. And, and the audience that's on TikTok mostly is the younger teenage demographic. And their top, as of 2022, and I'm getting this data from uh, something I read from uh, socialmediatoday.com, okay. which is one of my favorite go-to sources. And they were saying that for 2022, that it was YouTube, then TikTok, then Snapchat, and then Pinterest. One more time so I can wrap my mind around this. Yep. Give me the demographic one more time. What's the age range? So we're talking from 15 to 25, I believe. Okay. And so it goes... 25, somewhere in there. It goes TikTok first, you said? No. First is YouTube, believe it or not. Nice. Yeah. So it's YouTube. There's hope for the future. Yes. So it's YouTube (laughs) and then it's TikTok. And it depends on who you ask. My 15-year-old daughter is another... One that like after I see one of these studies, I go to her and say, hey, how accurate is this? And she looks at it and goes, hmm. But she said that she kind of prefers TikTok more. So it's, mm, but Snapchat is huge. And I think will continue to be because teenagers love, they prefer to snap somebody something more than send a text message. For whatever reason, they feel like it's faster. Interesting. And so I think that if, if they can get a really good feel for short form videos, then they'll be a good contender because they do have a lot of the built-in AR tools that TikTok has or similar to it. And 
It's just going to be about implementation. And I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off, but I do think that whoever can figure out the most in-app, easily accessible tools, the fastest Mm -hmm. will win. That being said, Facebook, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to, Facebook massively pissed me off this morning. Uh Uh-oh. I saw something I've never really seen before, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, limited originality of content violation. You ever heard of one of these? No, not not worded in that way. No. Yeah, me neither. This, I think, is a new thing, and it's really frustrating. So essentially, as as you well know, um, every platform wants you to use their platform to create content. They know that you repurpose stuff, but they would rather you not, right? They want it to be exclusive to their stuff. They want people to stay on their platform. That makes sense. Facebook is now uh, penalizing companies for repurposing content. Okay, which makes perfect sense. And this is one of the things I wanted to ask you. So I'm totally interrupting here, but I want to address this. Reels is my number one go-to where I'm creating things, right? Facebook Reels or Instagram Reels? Thank you for clarifying and asking Instagram Reels. Okay, so Mm -hmm. Instagram Reels is my go-to because I can edit easily and I'm most familiar with it. I'll post on Instagram and then I'll download that video and I post it over to YouTube Shorts. And every time I do that, YouTube's like, eh, eh, sorry. It's like the metadata inside that video. They know this was meant for a different platform. This is not something we're going to push out. And I've got a way to get around that, by the way. Oh, good. Okay. Well, good. Let's talk about that. Same thing for Facebook. If I do that, then it's just, they, they don't pop it in the algorithm. It does, it does nothing. Mm -hmm. And then I'll create something very specific just for, you know, either or platform and it does really well. And so I wanted to ask you, is there a way to get around that? (laughs) And yeah, yeah, apparently there is. Yes, there is. So there's two ways. So I believe there's three types of short form video content creators. There's the casual creator who just pulls out their phone, creates something cool and posts it, right? Then there's the intermediate creator who will pull out their phone, use the in-app tools, go nuts, and then create it and try and repurpose it. And then there's the professional creators who, and I I don't say that like skill level, I'm saying like those who work for larger companies perhaps. So I use DaVinci Resolve for all of my editing. One, it's free. And two, it's way better than Wondershare Filmora. And it's way better than a lot of other stuff out there because Hollywood, I mean, Hollywood uses it. So, you know, if Hollywood's using it, it's (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be good enough, right? right. <laughs> so the cool thing is they have a way that you can just set it up that that you're going to be sharing it on the right aspect ratio. And so you can go through and edit it there. And then you have that raw file that you can then upload to each platform separately. Okay. The benefit of that is you get some really cool editing. You could do really cool captioning. You can throw in B-roll. You can do sound effects. The downside is it's insanely time consuming. Mm. And the other upside is you don't get penalized on any of the platforms for that. They don't mind you uploading your own videos. So that's good. Yeah. Now, as far as repurposing reels that are made on Instagram to Facebook, before you hit post, save it to your device. Oh. So after you've created it, you've edited it, all that stuff, before you hit post, there's there's a place where it'll say save, and you can save it to your device, and it saves it to the device without uh, a watermark, without any of the metadata saved into it. It's just that video. So I've seen that option be available for the stories if I'm creating a story, but mm-hmm. not in not in reels. And maybe we have to look at advanced settings. I'm not sure. Okay. Just, yeah. Maybe it's just my account too. I noticed that just yesterday, Instagram was beta testing on my account. If you look at my reels screen, the image is no longer static. 
It's just mm-hmm. like TikTok. And I saw that's something they're, you know, trying out on my account and not others so far. So, I mean, I'm sure they are on millions, but I haven't seen that amongst my, I'm not special. I'm just saying, like, I feel like I'm one of the, one of the chosen ones that they've selected to, te- to beta test this. You are though. And so what, and I say that not just because I'm trying to be flattering, but because it's true. You and I were talking before about monetization, getting monetized on different platforms. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I made it very clear to Facebook that I was interested in beta testing any of their new stuff. And I reached out to them and I signed up for the beta programs before they were offered publicly. Um, When I did that, I let them know that I have the potential to be a power user. So if Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, any of the platforms, if they notice that you're using their key new features faster and more, and you're you know, adapting and, and they see that you, then they're going to reward you by offering you beta testing access to things that other people don't get. So for example, you and I had talked about, this is one of the predictions that I did not get right, which was the social media audio. I really thought that was going to take off. It's meh, you know, it didn't, didn't blow up the way I thought it would, but I had access to that on my Facebook feed. And I thought everybody did. And it turns out I was just me. And the reason for that is I had told Facebook, I'm interested in testing this stuff. Interesting. I, first of all, I didn't even know you could do that. I didn't know you could opt in by reaching out to them. That's fascinating. Yep. Yep. Wow. I mean, yep. it makes sense. This is something I've never thought about. Yep. Which, which is why you're here. <laughs> it's weird. It's in like the back pages, like the, the you know, how they have like Facebook University and things like that. Yeah. That you do. It's yeah. in that back stuff. You kind of have to dig for it. But mm. basically you just say, yes, I want, I, this is what I, and there, there's like an application to it. They're like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a digital content creator, but I'm also a consultant and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and I think that the fact that I had clients that wanted to know about this stuff also kind of made me a desirable beta tester for, for Facebook. Definitely. I've had the same thing happen for Instagram and a little bit for YouTube, but not as much. So it's, it's an easy way to do that. Now, as, so downloading it, that's one way. The other way to get around it is edit it outside and then upload it in. I found that adding background music or doing something to make it not be... 100%. That's a good way to hack the system too. Okay. So on that to, to what you just said about music, I have found that I'll upload a reel. And then like a year later, if I go back and look at it, all the audio is gone, completely gone. Everything I'm, I'm saying along with the song, because it's been deleted or whatever. So do you think that it's worth continuing on with selecting the music that's readily available inside the app? Because I know that there's SEO value in that, or is it more valuable in the long run, the long game to actually add my music, whatever royalty free that I'm adding to upload those videos to the platform so that it's always going to be there. It's kind good of question. a given thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, so I think there's an important, you, you bring up some really good questions there. And, and I think that there's, it's, it's all about how you're editing. I think you and I are both huge fans of captioning. And I found that videos that you caption do 10,000% better on just about every yes. platform anyway. Yeah. Um, but that's why it's important too, because if, if those videos that you had been creating got muted, you don't, they don't 100% lose their value because now you've got the captions there that are explaining what's going on anyway. Mm, so that's one way to be beneficial if you want to continue going that route. The other side of it too, is it kind of depends on the type of content you're creating. If you're just trying to ride the tidal wave of a trending song, then, you know, it is what it is. The value added is meh. But I think that, you know, if you're maybe trying to create your own trend and let other people use your audio, that's also helpful too. So 
I, I don't know. It, it kind of depends because if they do something, if the person who created that audio originally does something stupid and gets gets their account pulled, then yeah. all of that audio is lost for hundreds of thousands of people. And it, it's broken. It's a broken system. But at the same time, if somebody owns the rights to that music and then does like decides, I'm not going to let everybody use this for free, which I don't know why you wouldn't let 15 seconds of free advertising out there. I guess this is why I'm not a music exec, but anyway. <laughs> But yeah, you do run that risk. So I think I personally am a big fan of original audio. And then you can try and capitalize on something that you have always been a huge advocate and actually taught me about, which is using alt descriptions and things like that. And I mean, that's a magical SEO tool right there. So I don't know if you've noticed this on Instagram, instead of using hashtags, you can also use what these subjects are, what they fit into. Um, yeah, the the, the, ca- the categories in which categories. you're discussing. Yeah. And oh my gosh, that's so powerful. I, I got access to that like a month ago now mm-hmm. and you're only allowed three, right? You can tag three for the video and it's really powerful. I gained mm-hmm. the majority of followers from those particular reels when I use that feature because it's wow. so targeted. Yeah. Wow. It's an extra boost for sure. And did, now, did you use hashtags when you did that too? Or so was it a two yes. or did you use one or the other? You know what I have? <laughs> see, you're so good. I haven't tried one or the other. Today, I'll upload something and I won't use hashtags and I'll just try try doing the... Categories. I bet it won't do as well. So some of the Instagram gurus yeah. were saying that you should you should only do categories and not hashtags. Mm-hmm. Hashtags are just for sorting and they don't matter. But in my experimenting, I've seen that when you do both, it seems to do a lot better. I don't know. I guess it depends on what you upload and what, and you know, if it's valuable, it'll do well, no matter what. And and we're just talking about little ways to boost. I mean, I heard Mr. Beast said something. He is my go-to guru when it comes to content creation. He's awesome. Oh, geez. The guy's like not even 30 and he's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, has tons of different companies and people Brilliant. think he just gives away stuff on YouTube. And it's so much more than that, but I digress. So he said something that really affected me hard this year. He said, you know, people say the algorithm hates me. What can I do to make the algorithm happy? And yeah, there's a lot of algorithms out there, but honestly, the algorithm doesn't care about you. They don't even care about your content. What you need to do is replace that with audience. It's not that the algorithm didn't like your content. The audience didn't like your content. So you need to change something about the content itself. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the algorithm will continue to hate you. It's only going to put out good content. Totally. So to that, here's something that I really want the listeners to to take home for for what it's worth, okay? I have found that with my incessant posting, and the reason that I'm posting so much is I'm testing things out. I'm sharing it with my clients. I get that it's annoying to some. I apologize. It's kind of like a sorry, not sorry, because I'm it's my job. I'm gaining so much information from doing it. However, that being said, I feel like it's so important that the more content we put out that we actually want to put out, not necessarily what we think our followers or viewers want to see, mm-hmm. then not only the content creation, but the content curation process becomes so much more fun. Yep. And yep. that's something that that you actually taught me, Stephen, like when I was looking at your YouTube channel the other day, and even with your podcast, The Deep Gripping Reality, you're putting out what you want to talk about. And it does well, you know? And so that's really important. I, I was creating content for years, what I thought like, you know, the followers want, and it didn't do nearly as well. So if I'm yep. excited talking about it and you know what, it's, it's true to form for this podcast too. 
in the beginning, it was all about like, oh, you know, I'm going to talk to this person about this because I know people want to know this. No, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to people I want to talk to. And I'm certain it's going to do really well. All I'm saying is I'm encouraging listeners to really just whatever you consider to be an expert in, talk to that. Follow people your passion. To know. Follow That's it. Follow your passion. Yep. Yeah. People can sense and feel when you're passionate about something and it comes across. And yeah. if you're just talking about something and, and if you're genuinely interested. So if you're having a conversation with somebody because you think your audience wants to know about it, but you could not care less, no matter how hard you tried, you could yeah. not care less. That comes across and that one's going to bomb. People can tell when they're being force fed. Mm. They don't like it. And, they and if they don't like it, they're not going to do anything with it. So yeah. yeah, it's been a very interesting journey for me to kind of discover that it's not about optimized search anymore. It's about mm-hmm. creating and curating very, very strong content that people like. And uh, what I found, this is amazing. I don't know if you noticed this too. I'm an analytics, especially YouTube. Okay. Oh, yeah. And have you noticed when you post something, it's flatlined for even up to a day or two. And all of a sudden just skyrockets. Yes. It's like something picks up or one person likes it and it just takes off. Yeah. So I found out why that is. Tell me. Go ahead. I want to hear what you have to say. Cause I, no, I no, no, no. This is your time. You tell me, I want to know. <laughs> okay. So the reason that that happens is that every 15 minutes, the YouTube system will go through looking for fresh content. And the first thing it'll do is test it with your tried and true audience. So if your viewers have not been online for two days, and it's tested it with a few of your viewers, but didn't do too well. And then one of your core viewers, somebody who never misses your stuff that hit that bell for notifications, all that garbage, right? <laughs> they see it and they like it. And then they share it or they comment, they interact with it. Then YouTube's like, okay, we have something here. And it reshares it over and over. And it rides that wave as long as possible. So even if YouTube says, because you can see in the analytics that the best time that your viewers are on YouTube is at 6 p.m. or whatever it is, right? Post 15 minutes before that. And hopefully you'll catch that first wave of viewers. However, if you don't, I've noticed that a video that should have taken off at 6 p.m. on Tuesday ends up taking off at 8 p.m., 8.30 p.m. and going all the way through the night on like Friday, Saturday. Wow. So there's there's long tail value is what I'm getting at there. And I've seen the same thing happen with uh, longer form videos, not just short form videos. So um, changing out, if you ever feel like you create an awesome piece of content and it just does not take off on YouTube, I found that just changing the title a little bit and swapping out the thumbnail, having two or three thumbnails ready and swapping it out after 24 hours can give it that extra boost because you've just told YouTube that you have something a little more fresh about this piece of content that was already not really dead and you just refreshed it and it gives it another chance to take off. It's been crazy seeing how that works. That's amazing. But with shorts, you can't upload your own custom thumbnail. Not right? anymore. They took that away like yeah. two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. They, it's kind of like whatever they give you. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So yeah. interesting. Okay. But well, let me. on every other platform. Right. 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 Except I will say, except for this new real feature where it, it's now whatever they give you. It's like the first, like, you know, second. I know that drives me nuts too, because I like to do a fade in. Yeah. 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 Me too. And so it's all the same. Yeah, I know for, for all of my content in the last, um, that my content team has been making me, Kenny, who's amazing, he likes to zoom out and in. And so that's a lot of like the beginning, like, oh my gosh, yeah. a lot of my face. Um, <laughs> so Stephen, let me ask you this. People are listening to this and they go, all right, 
like, this is good information, but where should I really put my energy for 2023? Where am I going to get the best benefit when it comes to posting? Obviously, you and I are both saying the same thing with TikTok. It's like, yeah, it's powerful. I wouldn't put all eggs in that basket at all, just knowing that it's probably not going to be around for much longer. Um, you know, I think Instagram is still really powerful. We're talking about Google. We're talking to, I mean, look, Google owns YouTube. So to me, that's the obvious decision. But what do you think? What is the ultimate place that people should really focus on creating content for first and then repurpose from there? The short answer is create value on a website, a lot of value on a fresh value on a website, then build YouTube content to go with it and embed in it. Because YouTube is YouTube's going to win in the end just because Google has 90%, if not more, of internet traffic. And it's already showing shorts in search. And right. do you think even if you, you can have the coolest TikTok on the planet, but unless the word TikTok is in your search terms, if you, you're looking for short-term video, they're going to show shorts, Right. period. Powerful. It's their product. Why wouldn't they, right? Exactly. So that's the best way to go. The only thing that can put a kink in that plan is if uh, Apple decides to be jerks for some reason and starts making it harder to create a short-form video on iPhones. That, believe it or not, could have a serious damaging effect. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. And we I saw that with, with the advertising value in uh, Facebook. Yeah. Yes, Same we thing. did. I mean, I think that, you know, Apple's going to come out really heavy hitting either this year or next uh, VR and AR products, and they're going to dominate the market mm-hmm. with that because it's I all agree. tied. It's going to use your phone as, yeah. as the power source, or as the, you know, the memory and the computing power. So that's going to be where their focus is. But I do think YouTube is the way to go. I think that uh, Instagram Reels will always do better than Facebook, and Facebook doesn't like that. Meta hates when anything does better than Facebook, even its own product. And I think the problem with Instagram is that it's having an identity crisis and will continue to do that for this year. And people don't like it. People don't like it. So if they can get their stuff together, then I think Reels is a good backup. I think that if you want an easy, say you've only created content on TikTok and you are kind of worried about it going away. I think getting your feet wet and creating reels for Instagram is a really good way to go and then start using YouTube. Knowing that YouTube shorts on uh, desktop is a very different experience than YouTube shorts on the app. 100%. And while you're doing that, uh, you can watch your metrics. You can see YouTube shorts metrics mostly in the studio app on YouTube on your phone. And you can't see those metrics in just YouTube studio on the desktop. Right. So it's important to look at both. Exactly. So you want to keep an eye on all that. That's all very important. Someone was not having it. Hi. Hi. Hi, Shorty. Are you making your Tuesday tea debut? (laughs) Little marketing mastermind in the works there. Maybe I smiles from you. What do you think? There um, it is. There it is. <laughs> For those of you watching on YouTube, my daughter Sarah has made her first Tuesday tea appearance. She was not having nap time, but let's keep rolling with this content because it is no it's so powerful. And I really appreciate you allowing the extra guest here. <laughs> my favorite roles are dad and and husband. So I am oh, totally cool with that. Nice. Um so I realized as you were gone that there that that we got so far away from what I was mad at Facebook for. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So basically what happened is you can get, you get flagged for limited originality is what it's called. And the way that it happens is if it has limited editing, so it's content that a page that like, so your page didn't film it, they didn't produce it, or you're sharing it and it has very minor 
but not meaningful enhancements. So it's you've just added voiceover, commentary, graphics. There hasn't really been a little bit of creative editing, but it didn't add any value to it. Or if you're aggregating, so if you're you're compiling a bunch of third-party content stuff and you're putting it into one quick video, it knows that that's not yours. So it's limited originality. Or if, and this is the one that got me so mad, duplicative content is what it's called. So content that already exists on Facebook that the page had no meaningful role in creating. So if uh. it feels like you're sharing something, like you've downloaded it and you've added something, somebody else, whatever, it's all, it's kind of like a different version of copyright, but it's not. The whole thing makes it seem like if you didn't create it in Facebook or share it directly from Facebook studio first, yeah. even if you created it on another platform, then it's not yours. And what makes me mad about it is how it affects your page is that you lose in-stream ads. You lose the ability to earn money from in-stream ads. Just for that video or for like the no. whole thing? Until it, I, I requested a review and until it gets overturned, I've lost monetization. You're kidding. Um, for in-stream ads. Yeah. Other monetization tools oh. may not have access. So in other words, the little ads that go underneath, or if I wanted to do paid subscriptions, I may or may not. It's kind of up to that. So it takes wow. two to three days to you request a review and it takes two to three days. Uh, some reviews require a little bit more time. And it says the best thing you can do is keep publishing original content. And if you p- keep putting out original content that meets their standards, then it helps your page become eligible for, for monetization. So you lose monetization for repurposing your own content, essentially. That's broken. That's yeah, meta, that my friend. So that's meta. Cuss, baby. Yes. No, there's precious ears in the room. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, so along with like, you know, Rory's and my take from big picture, everything that we feel about meta is, is extraordinarily frustrating from the ad side of things. I mean, I was responsible for over $8 million in ads a month for my clients and we were getting a two X ROI, like, like clockwork. And it was like, this is amazing. And then something switched and just forget it. And now we've we've shifted budgets over to AdWords and that's doing okay, but it's nothing like it was. And I remember thinking to myself, something's got to give here because this is real good. And they're going to catch on to the fact this is real good. We're going to have to make a huge shift. And, and we did. Meta, you know, Meta Facebook, it's it's not my favorite. But then I see, you know, I love Gary Vee. I know you do too, right? Like Gary Vee's, Gary Vee's the man and he's, he's loud with what he knows and passionate. I love that. Like he's, he's our people, right? He's our people. Yeah, and much. so I saw a video the other day of him being like, if you want to like crush it in 2023, it's all about Facebook reels. And I'm thinking, what? Hmm. Did you see that on <laughs> Facebook or did you see it on Instagram? I saw that on Instagram. I saw it on Instagram and I was really surprised. It's like, this is interesting. And then he said, and to crush it further, you know, post like four or five times a day. I'm thinking. Yeah, that makes sense. You're flooding then. Right. I mean, if it's high quality content, you're flat. So I, I was very much, a, when we first spoke ever, I was huge about put it all out there. Yeah. I, and that was, a, that was a very Gary Vee thing. It was, you know, mm-hmm. don't worry about quality right now. Just put content out there. You'll get found. Yeah. It's taking a shotgun approach, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that, yes, you attract an audience, you grow that way. But the problem is it may not be the kind of audience you want to attract. Exactly. It may not be good clients. You're basically teaching the algorithm. This is my random stuff. So in, unless all of the things you're posting are incredibly focused, mm-hmm. even if they're not high quality, you risk that. So, for example, we tested something last year for the biker lawyers that was the biker ambassador program. 
And the idea was we did a brainstorming session with a few of our biker friends and with the attorneys. And I said, you know, what, what are they into? Let's understand our audience. What do bikers dig? And of course, Pete, who is an older guy and he's been a lawyer for 35 years, he's like, <laughs> you either get it or you don't. So yeah. of course, you know, Ginger and I are like, okay, well, we know that they, they like the second amendment. They're all about the freedom of carrying a firearm yeah. and they like rock music. And, and they like food, you know, when you're going on a good drive, they like food. So we were reached out to a local radio station and we really like them a lot, good people. And we worked out a deal where two of their DJs would become our bikers ambassador of rock and biker ambassador of ammo. And the ammo guy would go to a gun shop and basically learn everything he could about figuring out what, what firearm is best for personal protection versus shooting at a range or whatever. Cool. So it was kind of an educational thing. And that was really cool. And the rock guy would go to shows and do reviews for us. So we got some of the local SEO that way. And our food guy who did the very best, he would go around and basically find biker friendly food businesses that if you're on the road and you need to stop and get a bite, this is where you go. And I created custom intros and outros for it. And I edited it. And the rule was for all of our ambassadors, you have to give me video and you have to give me stills and you know, that was pretty much, and we have to have this weekly. So every week and blog, I had to, they had to write a blog that had to be at least 600 words that I could work with. Right. And so that was helpful. Gave me tons and tons and tons of content that I could build off of. The problem is that slowly, but surely one of the things that we did, one of the highest performing videos that we had was I shot a 357 Magnum and now I have questions. So YouTube hmm. decided that I am a, that we are a gun channel. Oh, that's so And hard. pigeonholed us. Yep. And so we were getting all kinds of traffic to the website for that one blog for gun enthusiasts, which was great. And, and we ended up, I think we ended up with like 6,000 subscribers to our blog. Amazing. The problem is they all wanted just gun content. They didn't care about the personal injury side. Yeah. And so there was no leads coming from that. It's and, it was. And it was a huge investment. So the moral of the story is that when you're creating content for everybody, you're creating content for nobody. And so it goes back to what you like, which is what you were talking about before. And so what we're focused on now, see now my office made is. Hi. <laughs> Get out of here, buddy. What I was getting at with all of that is that you have to be able to really fine tune what you want to create. So now the content we're creating, we've, we're doing one series, it's called the Biker Rebellion. And the idea is we're talking about all the things that your lawyer can't say in court or that insurance companies don't want you to know. And so we're basically, the whole premises speak truth to power. And it's really cool because essentially all of the questions that we're asking Pete are questions we've been asked by either clients or on social media or whatever. And so we're basically offering that and it's fun. It's interesting. And I still get to test with it. And what I found is that if I take one question and I do it as a three minute short form video, it doesn't do very well at all. However, if I take that same thing and I really edit the hell out of it for four or five hours down to a 60 second clip, which is a nightmare to do. <laughs> but once you do that, sure enough, it now has over a thousand views very quickly. Wow. Powerful. So exact Smart. same question, just cut out. So quality over quantity. And the same thing takes off the, when I do that, the same type of videos take off across the board. So I'm going to let you know this last thing too. I don't know if you've noticed this, but anything you upload, any video that you upload to uh, Instagram is now considered a reel. Yes. Okay. Well, 
Except for a, uh, a live. Except lives. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yep. So the reason that that's powerful, though, is that that is an easy way for you to upload the longer form reels and hopefully capitalize on that. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way for Facebook. You still have 60 seconds. Yep. And it's so, not, it's 90 for reels now, right? That's what it's on, on Facebook. I, I'm so, I keep saying reels, just assuming it's Instagram. I mean, for Instagram, it's it's 90 seconds, right? No, no. You can have a five minute video. And if you upload it, it'll upload oh. it as a reel. That's five minutes long. However, oh. if you click the word reel, yeah, you just upload it as a video. And I've done that the way that I, the hack that I've found for the workaround for that is you have to do it through desktop. Oh, okay. Well then if you what happened directly as a reel? Then it's what, like, what happened to IGTV? Is it still there? <laughs> I haven't even looked. I haven't noticed. I don't think so. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go take a look. Yep. What we will also see, this is my final predictions here, if you will. So TikTok has tried to be more transparent now. They're talking about how they populate people's feeds, but it's too little too late. (laughs) (laughs) And then they've also expanded it to almost all of their users now can upload up to 10 minute videos. And the reason that they did that was because they wanted to capitalize on their music stuff. Most artists don't have a 60 second, 90 second song. Most of them have at least a four minute song. And so by saying you have 10 minutes, you can upload a full video to us now and we're competing directly with YouTube. So while everybody else is going more short form, TikTok saying um, much like all the platforms, we're a search product now also. And so SEO matters and keywords matter, but also now you can have longer form content. And in fact, that is, you know, we were talking about how the audiences react to various platforms. And what I'm also finding is that many of the younger demographics are using TikTok as a search platform more so than Google. Whoa. Okay. That's a powerful takeaway. Really powerful. So if you've, you know, if you're running a business and you're still on TikTok, Oh yeah. Are you that demographic? No, not Not yet. (laughs) But if you're on TikTok and you're running a business and you're considering like, you know, who you're selling to, that's really powerful. Yep. Yep. Um, Also, you won't be able to sell much other than through the Facebook for sale groups. You won't be able to sell much. They've completely abandoned their sales uh, platform. And I think it's, everybody's going to figure out all these platforms are trying to figure out their identity they're trying to figure out how they can get creators to spend their time and effort. And you know, I was going to, you asked if I had a hard stop and I got to tell you, I had had it in the back of my head to talk about the creator economy and the overall economy and how we're headed into one of the greatest recessions and depressions that the world has ever seen over the next two years. And the bad news is that's horrible for most people. But if you're a content creator, you're in luck because when people are down and out, they turn to, to content to make them feel better. So the feel good content. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So, well, I want to have you back on for a part two, because I know we have a lot more to talk about. So let's do like a mid-year where we at from the predictions from this episode. And we'll, we'll, I'm sure dive into a lot more. Thank you so much for being with me. This has been so fun. I know. And thanks for letting, thanks for letting Sarah, I know, come hang out with us. Yes. You know, they say that there's two things that sell things, dogs and babies. And we have both in this episode. So if this isn't your best performing episode ever, I got nothing. Exactly. That is it for this week. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you.